BJ King, you're the BJ King. <laughs> I chose King as my pronoun, but I guess it misfired. <laughs> yeah, I've been looking for a, plat- a podcast platform that doesn't ask for pronouns, but no luck, no luck so far. Um, okay, so this is uh, the two minute hate. I haven't done a solo episode in a while. I've been. Uh, lacking inspiration but i'm i'm thankful to you billy the new york jew for coming back to uh (laughs) to help me get one of these out um i want to talk about nathan fielder but first i wanted to ask you is that woman you sent me the picture of is that actually your new congressional rep yeah yeah uh um is it Kristen gonzalez i think i vote i voted for her oh geez so is she like going to be a new squad member i feel like she's well she i think worked for a tech company which they really play up a lot so i'm i'm definitely uh confused about where her allegiances lie oh interesting do you know what the company was no but like in all her promotional stuff it does say like she started out like a tech company um so she seems part of part of that world so is the idea of that, that that's supposed to lend like competence or something? I think competence and like youthfulness, I feel like they're playing up that she's, you know, not your, not your grandma's rep. <laughs> I don't know. My, my grandma probably would have voted for her. Uh, <laughs> I, I think, um, okay. Well, I was kind of curious about that. I guess. So the picture you sent, she's with AOC. That's why I asked if she was in the squad. It, like, did AOC oh, I mean, endorse I, her? Yeah, they. She's part. The two points I know about her, I feel like that they hammer home in all the like leaflets I saw around, were that she worked at a tech company, although they don't say what, and that she's like DSA and AOC endorsed. Leaflets. They, what oh, year yeah. is this? People are giving out leaflets. They hilariously stuck them, lay them on the ground, like next to all the trees by the school that I went to vote at, and even had one hanging in the tree. I think that's like supposed to be illegal, but probably they figured out the foot that they need to be away from the actual voting site or whatever. Well, I think because it's left on the ground, it looks sort of like it's trash, except it was left at every single tree. (laughs) So So did did you... And it was literally a leaflet because it was, you know, either hanging in the branches or by the bottom of the tree. And did you do a vote blue no matter who or what? Yeah, I voted for her and Paperboy Prince. What is that? <laughs> He's uh, the or they, I think, are the only non-binary uh, state rep. Um, and th- they run some sort of kind of like vintage like rainbow colored vintage store that looks like it's filled with lots of uh i don't know trinkets um, they go by paperboy paperboy prince because oddly both those are pretty gendered for a, that is that's two male coded monikers for a they them <laughs> that's some interesting <laughs> that's a good uh, point i had not i had not considered that if is I this a sh- is this a FTM person or we don't know? Uh, 
I, I believe, I don't know. I feel like I shouldn't even say what I believe. <laughs> <laughs> Did they win? I don't know. I doubt it. I feel like it was only them versus another more normal sounding candidate. So I sort of assume the normal sounding candidate just won. And so my vote was not, uh, I was not too concerned about the vote. Well, true progressive accelerationist, you did your part to try and <laughs> yeah. make the country as gay as possible, as fast <laughs> as possible. But, uh, you know, maybe the people were with you, maybe they weren't. Okay, so I don't know why I was curious about that. But um, yeah, we can we can move on to the Nathan Fielder stuff. I guess as background, this, this group text we're on, which uh, I think I referenced in the last episode you were on, we talk about the rehearsals sort of as we're watching it. But I guess before we get into the rehearsal, Nathan Fielder's new show on HBO, I wanted to ask you if you were a fan of uh, Nathan for you. I was a uh, huge fan of Nathan for you. Yeah, I guess one of the things I wanted to pin down that I don't feel clear about, but I guess I'll just say what my impression is and and you can tell me what you think is that i think it's interesting like the tonal shift between nathan for you and the rehearsal like i guess i feel like nathan for you was very uh charitable to the viewer in the sense that it's sort of like there's some evidence that nathan's a weird guy and maybe has interest in the weird manipulations he's putting people through that are a bit higher level. But if you're uh, not interested in that, if you just sort of want to see um, like people get put in some crazy scenarios, you don't really have to engage with the show uh, on like a deep psychological level. You'll sort of just still enjoy like watching people try to deal with his, his crazy business ideas. And I guess the rehearsal, there's like a slightly higher barrier to entry or something? Well, Nathan for you was very formulaic and was very, it felt very like rooted in a comedy show, you know, like a comedy show that would be on, was it on Adult Swim? I, I think it was just on Comedy Central. Okay, I... yeah, but I mean, it, it's in that, like I think no one would watch it and be confused about it being a sort of comedic show probably with the assumption that the audience is like the male demographic age, like 12 to like 40 or whatever, you know, it feels, it feels like really clearly in that, that world, especially being on comedy central or wherever it's on. Um, and I feel like the rehearsal does feel like a different sort of project being partially on just HBO. Yeah. One thing I said to Ben uh, that I'd also be curious to get your thoughts on is like, I feel like there's some evidence, you know, on Nathan for you, he makes fun of the fact that he went to, I think some random Canadian business school and he's like, right, and, I, right. and I got excellent grades and it shows like B's and stuff. But I, I think that I'm sure he wouldn't do it. But if I ran some fortune 500 company, I think I'd actually be trying to hire him because I, I think there's, a lot of evidence that like whatever process he puts into the ideas that are on Nathan for you, that like he has some 
deep psychological insight. And as evidence for this, I think it's really um, like conspicuous that a bunch of his sort of ostensibly like very stupid ideas or like random ideas ended up having like real virality, totally separate from the show. Like the two I remember are when he doctored that video of the animal saving the other animal. That, right, right. That video before the episode even came out had like its own life on the internet where people just really liked it. And then the other thing that was sort of a phenomenon was a uh, dumb Starbucks. Like people were, were very right. interested in it and there was like news coverage of it. Um, and so, yeah, I always thought like, okay, some of these ideas seem just like designed for comedy, but there does seem to be like something he knows about, uh, I don't know, creating a spectacle or like drawing people's interest that had yeah, like he, application beyond just being funny. He definitely knows how to like capture the imagination of people. And I think, I mean, one thing that I keep coming back to whenever I'm talking about uh, him or the show is first of all, that, you know, although the show clearly feels like his vision, like other people must work on it and write it and help him sort of conceive of it. But like, he has such a tight control of his public persona that like it, like all the discussion revolves around just like him as sort of the creator of these worlds. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know like who his sort of, collaborators are who are sort of invisible in some way um and so when i see the viral like videos that he's sort of created as like content for the show but they existed prior to the show or during the filming of the show sort of in our real space like he's really good at like collapsing his sort of artificial narrative of each episode with our world and i think some of that's sort of like his his temperament and uh sort of his aesthetics you know how he looks how 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 plain he comes across as um how he dresses like it, it's very weird as you said how he can like just sort of like connect with people because he seems to be such a weirdo so I guess what I'm saying he's like a very good observer and he's very good at hiding his his opinion or his you know I don't think he's ever really like trying to critique something in the way that term is usually used but like he has sort of a point of view clearly and he's very good at being like like you sense a mischievousness mischievousness but it's very unclear like where it's going. Yeah, he, I think in both shows, I know in the rehearsal, but uh, I think I remember this from Nathan for you too. He sort of has scenes like with his staff where the implication is that like, they don't get it and find him kind of annoying. And yeah. I, I assume that that's not true, but is like a very conscientious choice, as you say, to sort of, try and make the whole project just associated with him. And it's like, you know, I guess in that sense, 
he's he's pretending like his co-conspirators are more like the audience where like their primary right. response is like this is weird and funny but we don't really understand it and that's an interesting choice especially because he's the sort of persona where like i feel like there's a lot of shows where there probably are nathan fielders behind them but there's also like a more sociable more gregarious person who becomes associated with the project and then you like are never aware of the nathan fielder like i don't know if that's well, well i think on a lot of i think on a lot of reality tv you don't see that nathan feel like they're not a part of the show they're not in the title you know there are hosts and there are probably contestants or sort of stars but they all sort of feel like characters like um because i feel like nathan for you sort of the closest analog is like shark tank right where you sort of have these people coming to the judges like pitching an idea and i guess theoretically they'll invest in them um but that does feel like it doesn't feel like the the judges on shark tank write the show or control the whole show um even if they kind of maybe do so yeah, I, I think the the only like straight reality tv show i've seen more than one season of is the bachelor and it's it's very clear that like uh i don't know if machiavellian is the right word but that like there's very mischievous minds behind the bachelor <laughs> who are like very interested in innovating around how they manipulate the cast and push push them to extremes but i think like in early seasons of the bachelor maybe they could like uh they were successful in not addressing that but i think increasingly with the internet and stuff there would be like dialogue between the fans and the host and i think for like a transitionary period they tried to sort of act like the host this guy chris harrison like they had him sort of stand in as the person making the rules, even though like somewhat transparently he wasn't. And he would give sort of very unconvincing little speeches like, well, you know, the show is about finding true love. And like the the producers thought that like introducing this new challenge would like aid in that. But I think no one really bought that and I don't watch the show anymore, but I'm aware of the fact that like a sort of not that out there thing that has begun happening is that like producers of The Bachelor will like, they won't go on like TV talk shows, but they will go on like a Bachelor podcast and the podcast hosts will tell them like, we loved when you, uh, you know, like drove this character crazy in this way uh, and you should add like this wrinkle to manipulate future casts even more. And the producers, at least in that context, will like engage with it very openly. Like, oh, you know, yeah, we we knew we had like lightning in the bottle with this like bipolar person. And so like, here's all the things we did. Uh, so you're like, you're seeing them more, you're seeing like the hidden hand more, but it's definitely not, as you say, it's never, it seems like sort of important to those projects that those people can't ever just be on camera being like, I guess like one of the early things they divulged and this must've come from a producer is like how there were certain circumstances where like 
they were really aggressive about like refilling people's wine glasses and they knew that none of the contestants <laughs> had eaten. So they're sort of admitting that they're trying to create this like biological scenario where they're like, oh yeah, we know all our contestants have empty stomachs and we like instructed the waiters to get them drunker and drunker. But presumably there's like a million things like that that we don't know. And again, through this, through this podcast, social media discourse, they're like slowly coming out, but still a lot of it is hidden. Um, and you can watch those shows without really, like if you want to, you can just sort of assume all the characters are naturally crazy and you don't have to consider the context too much. But definitely, like I am sort of convinced that the real skill in a lot of the shows is like, you can choose pretty normal people. And as long as you can make the circumstances extreme enough, like you can get them to do sort of like riveting things on camera. Yeah, I mean, I do think those shows, like The Bachelor's a little different because I feel like you have a certain kind of, like, I don't know that I'd call them quote unquote real people because they do have that quality of like, they're probably kind of actors in LA. Um, and why, you know, like, and so this is sort of a little bit of like a fame and like promotional thing for themselves, or I think they think that it could be. Um, I feel like something like, uh, uh, what's it called? The show I was just talking about. Um, Shark Tank? Shark Tank, yeah, is more like, quote unquote, real people because they are most of them are just like pitching a product that's like a business they've run for a while. Um, yeah, Shark but, Tank almost has like an Airbnb quality where it's like when Airbnb started, it literally is random people's homes. And because of that, the like variety and quality has like really high variance. But then like a sort of entrepreneurial class figures out how to make money that like it always seems like now the trailers I see for Shark Tank, it's like the show's less fun because the businesses are all like plausible. Whereas at the beginning, uh, yeah, a lot yeah. of them would be like dumb as fuck and like clearly <laughs> could not work. Um, I, haven't, I haven't watched it in a while, but I think it, it just feels sort of very similar to what Nathan for you was. It's like Nathan for you was sort of inserting. I mean, I think on Shark Tank, these people actually thought they could hit it big. Whereas on Nathan for you, he clearly was like kind of just finding people that thought this was like an intriguing, weird project, or maybe they were even approached and talked into it. Um, and I, I do really wonder like what they think is going on. Well, yeah, Shark Tank is sort of like, if you can pitch us well, we'll give you money. And Nathan for you is like uh, the, the sort of uh, bizarro version of that where it's like, we'll help you with stupid ideas, but they're like interesting, stupid ideas. So like you'll, yeah. you'll get exposure and maybe even in some sources, like certain kinds of resources, but you have to submit to our wacky schemes. Um, yeah. And yeah, they've done a really good job. I mean, I haven't looked particularly hard uh, on the internet for this, but like, Sometimes with shows like this, as they're running, there will immediately be a story that's like an interview with like the gas station owner from the rebate episode that's like, oh, I knew this was like stupid and wouldn't work, but like we just wanted to get the business on TV. But with Nathan For You, I haven't seen anything like that. So I don't know if they have like 
really good NDAs that keep people from talking about the experience. But I've never I've never seen uh, a statement from one of the business owners that he interacted with talking about like why they did it or what the ultimate you know consequences for their business were. Yeah, I mean, also Nathan, for you, I think it's pretty much. I mean, so is the rehearsal like a cult show? Like, it's not. I don't know what kind of reach it really has. Um, so, well, it's, he, like, it seemed, and this is part of why I'm like convinced he's really smart in some weird way is that both Nathan for you and the rehearsal seemed to have like, it's not prestige TV, but like, you know, there's always shows where like, um, they might never get a million viewers a week, but it's like, you can read a lot about it on Twitter and there'll probably be an article about it in the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal. And like Nathan Fielder's stuff is like that, where like it's, I don't know how many viewers it ever had, but it's, it sort of seems to be taken up by like the cultural elite as a subject of interest, which like a lot of Comedy don't... Central shows are not. I don't know if Nathan for you ever was, but it, that's what is interesting about this jump with the rehearsal, I think largely just because it's on HBO, which just has, you know, carries a kind of weight. And I don't even even know if more people will stumble upon it because of that, but like it does get you a review in the New Yorker or something, which is, you know, very funny and very weird. Um, yeah, I, I seem to recall there being like some high level critical interest in Nathan for you, but it is certainly true that uh, the rehearsal has garnered more. Um, and like, I don't know, that's an interesting question in of itself as to to why that is. But I think I, I just want to close out on like this, this tonal shift question. Like when you, I don't know if you watched several episodes in a row or you watched them if they came out, but like, I remember just after watching the first episode of the rehearsal, like I liked it, I think because I felt bad. I, this isn't an accusation that uh, Nathan was exploiting him. I think I just found the main character of the first episode like a weirdly, uh, I couldn't really relate to his concern about revealing that he didn't have right. a master's degree, but like the the emotional import it had for him made me like uncomfortable with the whole thing. Cause I was like, this is kind of dumb, but it's like very high stakes seemingly for him. And like that kind of thing, I have a much easier time with sort of like the the antagonist of the show that comes in later, Angela, I guess is her name. Cause she's, she's a more like classic uh, reality TV character where like she seems very sure of herself in her unique insanity. And that like lets you off the hook for whatever you're watching about right, her. Right. And, and she, I didn't... she can definitely handle herself in life. Right. Whereas like with you know, the first guy, I was like, maybe he shouldn't have come on this show. <laughs> um, but I did, I did, because I watched the first episode and I sort of was like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to watch this show. Because like it's, it's very funny and like the high concept stuff of rebuilding the bar and uh, like down to the final details, like that's very funny but I don't want to watch sort of like normal-ish people being uncomfortable. Uh, and I think the show ended up not being like that. But I, I think after the first episode, I was just a little flummoxed about the whole thing. Like, 
Okay, it, this it, is it, this is more serious, I guess, in tone, and he's going to like greater lengths resources wise. I mean, I guess a big thing on Nathan for you was like the technical extremity he would go to to execute his inane ideas, whether it was like building a weird machine or yeah. like putting himself in odd circumstances. And I guess uh, in that case, the 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 sort of like engineering feats he had to do would be very different in nature and scope every week. But in in the rehearsal, it's like the main logistical challenge is that he's trying to replicate all these uh, real world environments for sort of unclear reasons. And that's interesting, well, also, like doubling down on sort of uh, that kind of replication. Well, also in Nathan for you, I mean, he was tr like ostensibly trying to make this business more successful, which is like a very kind of cut and dry. That's what I mean by it's like very formulaic, right? Like he tries to get more people in the door or whatever. Whereas uh, the rehearsal, it's like sort of based around giving someone like a positive emotional experience, which is much weirder and open-ended. I think even the the rehearsal's an hour long, right? Or like 50 minutes or whatever. They're all like different, but I think many oh, of them, okay. like the last episode is like only a half hour, but I think in general, they range between like 40 minutes and an hour. Yeah, it feels more like the, the um, the pacing feels slower and more like open-ended and there's a lot of sort of wishy-washy kind of the people talking about how they're feeling whereas you know nathan for you it was very like i think it was two projects a episode so they're really like 15 minute little shorts and you didn't uh get like a sort of deep emotional connection because the people were trying to just get like more people in their business or whatever. Um, That's true. And, although I do think one way you could look at the progression between the two shows is that like the first show, I think you could say like, there's some evidence that he was sort of using the premise of improving someone's business to put them or their customers in odd psychological situations. And yeah. then at, in, the, in the rehearsal, he's like, well, let's just dispense with the conceit. Like, let's just go straight to saying, we're gonna create odd emotional uh, interactions. Yeah, like that feels like the meat of the show and the fact that they rebuild the bar perfectly or whatever is sort of just like a one second gag, really. And then, and then the, it gets utilized so that he can practice in this, you know, fake bar, um, which I think is like what, like heightens how surreal the show is because he really, you know, you you realize how much like effort is going into this project and that he's really following through on it. Um, it's not just like making like that ridiculous chili suit in Nathan for you that like clearly will never work. Um, yeah, I that's... think it, it is a one second gag, but it's also the first instance of a running gag, which is like they are they are frequently building elaborate stuff or like hiring people to do things that are like expensive and complex and will not really be featured on the show very much at all. Yeah. Um, you know, seemingly in 
And like, I guess you're left with the question of like, is the sole purpose of that to be funny or does he think there's anything like interesting or specific about replicating these things? I don't, I, I don't really I think I, I think it is both. I mean, I think he knows there will be like, like he does play certain moments for laughs, like at the end of the rehearsal with the, the human sized doll or the kid sized doll. <laughs> like yeah. that is just like a funny, silly gag thrown into a more, a, a, a longer episode that's like way more kind of emotionally complex. But um, so yeah, I think he's good at like keeping both of those things running at the same time where there'll be like complete silliness and then also like silliness that actually just becomes like the building of that bar. I think what's great of it is like, it's a gag at first and then it just becomes sort of like a part of the show and it becomes like the set for the show. And then, you know, later on there's like the gag where he like goes and has a drink there cause he like doesn't know what else to do one day and like sort of <laughs> turns it into a functioning bar. Um, so. Well, yeah, another, so yeah. another through line of the shows that I guess is just his personality, but is that like, he sort of interacts with people and what they do like you imagine uh, an alien would or someone who had like no reference for human culture or something. And so in both shows, uh, and, and Nathan, for you, this is like really played for laughs, but he sort of is explicit that like, he doesn't really get like human interaction. And one of the benefits he gets from the show is sort of like from redoing certain scenarios or setting people in different scenarios, he can figure out uh, like how people think about different emotional situations, which is like not intuitive to him. I guess in, in Nathan but for I, you- But I think, I think it is, incre I think he's incredibly intuitive. I think that sort of autistic thing is like a persona and he's good at keeping a straight face and sort of being kind of self-deprecating at the same time and you know like I think he's I think that is the blankness is like a hundred percent a a like a, his style of being a performer well you know he said something I'm I'm sort of sometimes reticent to read interviews and stuff with really uh, i consider nathan fielder like a very interesting artist and i think sometimes there's uh a reason to like not read or watch interviews with such people because you might find out something that's like not helpful right. in just coming to their work uh sort of blankly but he said something that like fascinated me which is because the first part of what he said really confused me because he said that his mother was like the most socially gracious and affable person uh, he's ever met and that she could like have a really good positive conversation with anyone. And it, I guess I had sort of bought into his persona because at first I, my response to that was like, that's really surprising. I think of people who are socially awkward as usually having socially awkward parents because, uh, you know, if you have like a really high EQ person raising you, a lot of times some of that rubs up. But he says that his response to his mother was to always challenge himself 
to see if he could say something weird enough that it would throw her off. <laughs> uh, and that's really interesting to think that like, that rather than sort of like mimic her uh, social grace, he's like, I wanna see if I can disrupt this. And obviously like he has great skill at that, um, at like, and a great capacity to sort of endure whatever discomfort he creates and not bail on the the scene or whatever. I mean, there is some stuff in this show, the rehearsal, like uh, that was not excruciating to watch, but I just can't imagine participating in like, particularly like the last episode when I, I guess we should get to it's on its own of like, how sincerely is he concerned about Remy's identification with him? But, but you just think the normal response there would be like, all right, turn the cameras off. Like we need to get clear on like, is this kid okay? And like, what are our obligations and liabilities? Not just be like, keep rolling and I'll be kind of a weirdo about it, but like also a little concerned. Well, yeah, I mean, I think what he played with in Nathan for you and when you just to go back to what you were saying about not wanting to read interviews with him, I haven't read a lot or seen a lot, but you know, I saw him on maybe some late on maybe on Conan. He was like a guest, sort of early on trying out his that sort of persona as a kind of stand up figure. And like, you never get a sense of he never sort of lets down that that mask or whatever. Um, and I think so I've never I've never encountered him outside of the show where I feel like I'm seeing like, oh, he like takes off that hat and he's like just a normal kind of dork or like he's really interested in, I don't know, baseball or like I feel like he's he knows he has to keep all his public like like uh, moments kind of in line with this persona which i'm sure is sort of based off who he is as well but um yeah that's what he said that like this is an instinct in him that he leans into for the yeah performance and i think that i also knew about him maybe one thing that did make me suspicious about whether or not he was this extremely weird in real life is just knowing that he had been married at one point uh because i feel like not that obviously there's a lot of weird people in the world and people can find each other but i feel like uh it is, is this true? I was gonna say that like, uh, like the 10% of men who are like the most uh, socially inept, like bottom decile or whatever you would call it, like they're usually alone and like that makes sense. And I think like watching him and like imagining he had been married to a woman at one point, I was like, okay, he has to be able to like get in conversations sort of beyond this shtick. Uh, well, it, it it sounds like it didn't last, so so maybe that's part of it. Yeah, maybe. So I, I think in discussing the rehearsal, the way I think about the show, and you can tell me if you agree with this or not, but like my reaction to the show, I think there are six episodes. And mm -hmm. I think that I had like a totally unique experience with the first episode. And then like the middle four episodes were kind of a different thing and the part of the show I enjoyed most. And then the last episode felt like its own thing. And I'm, I still sort of don't know how I feel about it, but did you similarly, uh, 
like experienced the show in sort of three waves like that? I did, but I think I broke it up differently. The first is the one about the trivia guy, right? Yeah. And that's sort of like it's standalone little, like a bridge between Nathan for you and what the rehearsal is. And then the next episode is the one with Angela and the the weird guy, the numerology guy, right? Yeah. And that still feels a little like Nathan, like putting characters, these like kind of odd humans he's found and like they seem for real, but like they're in his weird artificial, you know, uh, uh, space or whatever. And then I feel like once that guy leaves and he starts introducing himself as a character who's clearly kind of trying to sidle up to Angela, it becomes something else. And I think, I mean, I really always assume the show is fiction, even if there are, you know, it's like, I think everyone on that show is an actor to some degree. Um, not like philosophically, but like is sort of professionally an actor in the way that reality TV contestants are, are actors. Um, like, I don't believe that Angela truly was doing this as a kind of personal social experiment to imagine, like see what be, ha being a mom would like in her ideal setting. Um, but even if sh her motivation is, I need to be on TV and this is the way, I will say that I was at least taken in to the extent that like, there's a bunch of scenes where they just cut to what Angela is doing in the house. And she's either like singing herself a weird yeah. song or like doing something bizarre where like, I mean, I guess I'm thinking about it more now as you say this, but as I was watching it, they struck me as like a con completely genuine reflection of this person. Yeah, those those moments are, I think, quote unquote, like what we would call real, like her sort of being unselfconscious. Though, I mean, on some level, she must know that there's the potential to be recorded at any time. Um, and, you know, there's that scene later on where she, he confronts her about how she's been breaking character with the kids and talking to them. <laughs> yeah. You know, which is like, uh, that feels genuine. I don't think he told her to do that or whatever. Um, so I, I just think there's always kind of this, like, there. Everyone knows they're being filmed. Everyone knows this is a very artificial thing. They're kind of, and also I don't think Angela was doing this to like launch a career in some other way. I just mean like I think there is a. Well, maybe to like sell like a, a new age Christianity book. Right, right. Like, I think there's just an awareness of what's going on. And, um, but well, yeah, one, even... One thing I respected about her that's like not really explored that deeply on the show, but I feel like she, it's not clear from the, the text of the show, like if there's a lot of time where she's not there, you know, if there's like six right, hours a right. day where she's they sort of presented as if she's there 24 seven, which I suspect wasn't the case, but it, in any event, it seems like she's there a lot. And I did think she did like a healthy or normal thing in contradistinction to some of her other behavior where like she really fully participated in the project, 
but sort of like kept it at arm's length in a right, way right. that seemed like really mentally healthy and that maybe like Nathan was uh, trying to break down, but she like kept it pretty consistent. I, I also like don't mean to say that I was watching it and thinking, oh, this is just fake. They're reading from a script at all. Like I would constantly fall into believing all these seeds were what, like, I hate to use the word authentic or real, but like, they're not self-conscious. Um, like, I think the show is really good at making you feel like you were watching two people interacting, not on a film set. But I think the show also really kept reminding you of those moments. And I think like that sort of, I feel like that's Nathan's real kind of like mastery of what he's doing is constantly reminding you of all the artifice, but then you get sucked back into this story. Um, and then also like you're laughing at these like bizarre moments. And the, the thing I kept going back to, or the thing it reminded me so much of is you see Mulholland Drive, right? Yeah. Do you remember the part where they go to the theater and there's this weird sort of uh, nightclub announcer and a guy comes out and, and the guy says like, there's no, like you hear a sound, but there is no band. And this trumpeter comes out and is playing trumpet. And then he stops and falls over dead, but the trumpet keeps playing. Yeah, sort of. I haven't seen the film in, in many years, but... It's it's just this, like, very obvious... You know, you're watching it. You you are believing this trumpeter is playing this music, and then he stops playing it, but it, the sound keeps going, so it's coming from somewhere else. And I feel like that is what Nathan Fielder keeps doing in the rehearsal, is reminding you of all the artifice but like you still get sucked in and like believe it's really happening, which is, I found kind of endlessly exciting and like kept me really engaged the whole time. Um, and then afterwards I would sit there and think, was any of that real? Like did, did any of those, I think you and I talked about when Angela talks about her drug use not seeming, like we didn't quite buy that as a real like it didn't feel authentic or something. Um, yeah, although I thought she was genuinely trying to lie to Nathan as she would to a person in the real world. Um, right, right. So it's like you don't know which which level of truth it's operating at. And I think I think he's really good at piling those on. And that's what feels so crazy while you're watching the show. Yeah, that's interesting, I, too, because then you could sort of read. I, I don't want to talk about the finale yet, but you could read the finale as sort of like a statement of like, you can't actually make something fake enough that there aren't real human stakes. But like, uh, I don't know. Um, but it, but I want to sort of go through it temporarily. Like. One right. thing that, that I felt uh, disoriented by on the show was like, I thought from the first episode that there were going to be different schemes every week, sort of like Nathan for you. And they right, sort of, right. they set up the first episode as like, 
this week's the trivia guy and then there'll be a different thing but it's like by episode three i think you're sort of like oh he's completely consumed by this fake family thing and like that's now the show well i wonder my question is do you think that this was always the intention or that like in production they actually got captivated by this thing and were like you know what this is actually going to be like four episodes or whatever while i was watching it i believed they got captivated by the thing you know maybe they even filmed other episodes that weren't that good and then just you know really like zeroed in on the angela fatherhood motherhood storyline um but you know now thinking about the whole arc of it i feel like he did those first two episodes which to me feel really different to kind of bring you into like to make you think that's what the show is going to be it's going to be like a more amorphous nathan for you it's going to be more about emotion and more kind of um like nebulous about what he's really doing there and i think that like suckers you in to keep assuming that it will be like a new story or like this thing with angela will wrap up kind of quickly and i think that heightens the the like the narrative or storyline that nathan's actually becoming really interested in fatherhood you know like it it i i do sort of i'm talking myself into it but i think this was sort of the intention um or at least it emerged early on while they were conceiving of the show and maybe starting to film it and stuff it is a weird mix of like he's a very meticulous person and yet he does seem to have the capacity uh at least as presented on screen to sort of like if something really interests him to sort of improvise to emphasize it more Mm -hmm. and like those aren't usually qualities that go together like sort of uh meticulous planning and a capacity for spontaneity but like i mean I'm, I'm, are... i i feel like i keep comparing him to lynch which i think is maybe which is some of my uh uh bias but you know like when lynch is making a movie he films hours and hours and hours of the character the actors doing random stuff and then he like probably has a script but i think it's in the editing room that he creates an actual narrative and I think Nathan, uh, uh, the rehearsal has that feel. Like, as you said, when something is really compelling, he, he allows that to take up more screen time. Um, so I don't think it's like scripted in the sense of like the lines are written out or he knows how much time he's going to spend on stuff. But I do, it does feel very organic and um yeah and we know from what we see that there must have been hundreds and hundreds of hours of footage because they have like 12 cameras set up in the house at all times like right right they had a lot of stuff to to pull from um i think this is a little bit of a digression but i think in these middle episodes there were a couple reviews you sent me one of them i think this was the new yorker one uh that i found very bizarre which were like, I think maybe this isn't a fair characterization, but they seemed to be trying to say like, 
this is especially mean spirited this show or like right. exploitative and like i have a couple things to say about that but the first is that like that seems like a really bizarre um response in the context of reality tv because i think just if you compare this show and what the subjects submit themselves to to just like i don't know what the top five rated reality shows are but like i think i mean maybe the critics would say like they're judging it in the realm of comedy or in the realm of like high concept tv like not normal reality tv which they wouldn't even deign to watch but i th i think it's like significantly less cruel than even like replacement level reality TV, which made me find the criticism sort of bizarre. Um, yeah, I think I think that criticism, first of all, I thought that criticism was ridiculous, just basing it off the first three episodes, which I guess part of what I was saying earlier too is I don't view it as the rehearsal as episodes, I view it as like a mini series, you know, with like a real ending that that like informs the beginning of it, like one coherent narrative. Um, so to review the first three is like reviewing the first season of The Sopranos and being like, wow, this show isn't really dealing with X, Y, and Z. You know, it's like, well, you have to see the whole sort of long movie. Um, and, oh, I was gonna say something else about, what was your question? So, oh, sorry. I, I like i guess just seeing if you agree that like oh the mean-spiritedness right yeah like i think that is because he inserts himself into it and then doesn't give anyone the the relief of letting people the audience know what his intentions are which i think is like one of the most frustrating um qualities of like artistic all arts criticism and sort of discourse right now it's like everyone wants the artists to you know to be to have like the right politics and the right attitude especially if they're sort of provocative um which you know would sort of destroy the whole mystique of nathan yeah, I, I sort of have a theory. We we texted about this a little bit. And I, I'm not saying this is intentional on his part. I'm just saying this is how I view the show and it provoking that criticism. I think with regular reality TV and with a lot of uh, art, like you are welcomed to feel contempt for the subjects of the show, like the contestants on reality TV. And there is no character who stands in for the viewer. And I, I think that the problem that was maybe upsetting to people about the rehearsal is that I think Nathan's role in part, like the way I viewed it is like, Nathan is almost like a lurker on Twitter. Like he's watching everything. In some sense, maybe he's rendering judgment and by like not participating, he has some veneer of superiority, but like, the real distinction between Nathan and the subjects oftentimes is that like Nathan's life seemingly lacks content, whereas like they have it. So like, I guess I I'm getting really mm -hmm. pretentious here, but it's almost like they're alive in a way that he's not. 
and the only content of his life is like rendering judgment on them and like i felt very strongly that like however pathetic uh angela or other characters on the show might read like nathan is always kind of more pathetic as like an inert observer and i think yeah. I think that that might be actually what pissed people off because it's like in that way, he's a stand in for the viewer where it's like, yeah, Angela is crazy, but like possesses some vitality or some will and the sort of like content consumer who would never like deign to commit themselves to like some silly ideal that Angela believes in. They're pathetic in the same way Nathan is where like, their life is just like watching people who are actually alive and being like, yeah, but they're stupid or like they're right, right. to the wrong values or whatever. Yeah. I think Nathan's persona is not, uh, uh, like it, it's not pathetic, but it's, it does feel what's the word. Yeah, he does lack vitality. Um, well, right. I, or, I or, don't, or I should say, the character that he plays does. I think where you actually see all the vitality is like how much effort is going into creating this world, and clearly, it's like his vision and his humor. Um, yeah, he just seems very careful. There are just a lot of situations where, like, even a pretty passive man could like resolve a social conflict that arises or like help a child understand something or like resolve an argument with Angela or whatever, where like he sort of refuses to act and will, will continue to behave confused or unsure of how to proceed, even when the resolution seems pretty obvious. And that's why, again, yeah, just referring to the, the character, like not Nathan, fielder himself like he seems very committed to making him like inert as a social being i mean even like, that i think the most sort of first big profound moment in the show is when the actress playing the angela character like the the when he hires you know has that scene that that she's like screaming at him about like having feelings like how he like does this to like have something feel something real and it's like that's all the critiques of that new yorker article that he that were already sort of in the show although i guess the reviewer hadn't seen that episode yet and i feel like he knows that that will be like what people want to scream at him while they're watching it who don't like the show or are sort of frustrated by him and it's really funny that he you know listens to this this diatribe of the actress and then he says like okay let's like try that again but like less intense <laughs> it's you also know, like, it's also very like funny to to wonder like did nathan write some version of those lines or did oh, this, i think he or did this that... actress sort of have him dead to rights just by like no, observing I, some of this those are the scenes that i think are completely scripted i think he knew he wanted a scene where the actress would say the things that like you could imagine angela really saying if she wanted to really attack not just him but like the premise of the entire show and he sort of 
like admits he's not going to defend it or his character wouldn't defend it you know like he he does sort of shrivel up and like like hide um right and which we, I think... like angela has a bunch of problems with nathan but we don't really get the sense i i'm totally willing to believe that she had thoughts about this and it's just not portrayed but like one thing that's interesting about the imitation angela bringing that up is like I don't see on the show any indication of Angela being like, oh, am I the butt of the joke of the show? Like the things she complains right. about are, are different than that. Yeah, I think that speaks to like, you know, Angela does seem kooky for some of her beliefs or whatever, but does seem fairly good natured. And uh, yeah, like kind of actually would never, I think, have that kind of, confrontation with him yeah did you happen to see that sort of on twitter and elsewhere the the imitation angela was sort of a sensation like people were like this woman needs an oscar she's like right yeah no exactly person. which is you know it's funny too because i was just thinking about that scene and last night i watched carrie have you ever seen the original carrie the de palma one i think so yeah it's so it's so good but I don't know if you, I, you know, there's a famous scene where she's up on the stage winning the prom queen and they drop the blood on her. Yeah. I don't know if you remember this, but the way that scene is shot is um, there's one of the high school girls sees the bucket of blood because she's backstage and follows the line, the like the rope line of it to under the stage where the, the people who are going to spill the blood on her are hiding. And she kind of runs out into the auditorium, um, I think to warn Carrie that it's going to happen. While that's happening, the gym teacher who's sort of looking out for Carrie sees this girl running up to the stage. So you have the girl watching the rope with the blood and the teacher watching the girl, like who is watching the rope with the blood. And like, there's like this, like one person watching another, watching another kind of thing happening. And it like is such a good, just uh, like, like cinematic filmmaker kind of trick to heighten the drama of the scene and make it just more complex than just you know, cutting back and forth between the rope and carry or something. And I feel like Nathan is accomplishing something very similar by having the Angela imitator, you know, say the critiques that Angela, the real human might say, but then actually doesn't end up saying and like responding with, you know, rehearsing the, that, that, potential confrontation that never happens just with the actress like it's so it's so much more interesting and and layered than if Angela had just had that kind of blow up with him um, well yeah there's also sort of a theme on the show which is that like they reference and is I think like obvious but it's still sort of interesting which is that like the problems that they anticipate during the rehearsal are often not the problems that come up in the real confrontation. Right, like, right. Uh, and which brings me to the question of like, 
what do you think because i would say in general i'm like very anti like breaking the fourth wall and like meta commentary in art and you know sort of like in theater like involving the audience like mm -hmm. i don't really like that stuff but i do like this show and i think that sometimes like the meta nature of it is not like a canard or a distraction but it's like that's not really the whole point it's just like a structural element to get you right right things. but i wanted to ask like so like obviously the like the ostensible point of the rehearsals is to help these people be more prepared uh for when they face a real life confrontation but obviously we see that like that doesn't really work and i think we can assume that like the real nathan fielder would sort of know that it wouldn't actually play out as useful in that straightforward way so my question is like artistically like what is the real point of the rehearsal as the structure of the show i mean i think I think it is purely a narrative device because I look at the entire show as a, you know, a long movie, um, which is about Nathan Fielder, the character dealing with his, you know, feelings about fatherhood. Um, but I think it's, that's why I said earlier on, like, I think of the show as a work of fiction. Like, I think even when there's moments that maybe aren't self-conscious, it's like, it's, it's so heavily edited and structured that I don't think you could say it's like in any way really that, uh, what's the word? Like, I don't want to say truthful because I think it has like a kind of truth and like an actual real earnest sentiment. But in terms of actually thinking that Nathan is having the experiences he's describing having in real time in those moments. Like, I don't think that's happening. I think it's very, very fictional. Yeah. And I guess it's sort of like once he's in it, uh, any, cause like in the first episode, it's like the actual confrontation between the trivia guy and the woman he's disclosing to that he doesn't have his master's degree. As far as we know, that's like a genuine uh, disclosure and like some, yeah, of it, yeah. some of it is captured. But as soon as Nathan's in there, it's like every important scene with him has a person who could be carrying out some like ulterior, more long-term uh, narrative goal under the auspices of just participating in this improvisational scenario or whatever. Um, and yeah, it's, it's very, uh, I don't know. I, I think it's, I was just trying to think about like, what does he think about like repetition and distance? Because like the two aspects of the, the rehearsal, like as an idea is that you can do it multiple times so you can play out different things. But also it's like you're pretending the stakes are as high as the real confrontation, but they aren't. Um, I mean, it is in a way almost a joke about like his autistic nature. Cause like, you know, at the beginning, I thought it was a very funny bit when he has the like 
extremely sophisticated seeming uh, decision tree software. And you see that in right. the conversation, he has like hundreds of bubbles. Like, like it's sort of a, a lighthearted joke. But it's like you can see maybe someone whose personality is a really is a little bit like Nathan being frustrated that like the human world can't sort of conform to empirical analysis in the same way that, um, you know, I don't know, economics or something or math could. But his idea is like if you can get down all the, if you can capture all this variety maybe you could like try to systematize it. But I guess my point is like, I don't think he ever really believed that. It's just like a, again, a structure for the kind of interactions he wanted to. Uh, yeah, it's it's like an inherently humorous premise, you know, like making the, the suit full of chili that can be dispensed to people. Like, it's just a funny kind of ridiculous, like, like logic taken to its extreme conclusion. Um, like it's excessive in that way. Uh, well, right. Like you you can imagine like lots of people. There is a weird thing in the show too about like his extreme commitment because I think you can imagine a lot of different shows or even just a person in their life being like, should I try to get myself in a similar scenario to experience it? And then everyone just deciding like, well, the cost in resources of like generating some similar scenario for like a sort of limited and unlikely payoff, there's just like no dollars and cents reason to do that, which makes this endeavor like funnier and more extreme uh, to begin with. Yeah, I think he was just really, where I think he's like a genius is he grafted onto that, like a kind of silly, wacky premise like a whole narrative emotional storyline that people would become invested in and then also would constantly be playing with like what's real what's not what's reality tv what's scripted um like it you know i keep comparing him to lynch i'm gonna do it a third time that i mean i never really realized it until i think uh the perfume nationalist talked about how much the original twin peaks like the first iteration in the 90s is based the aesthetics are based on soap operas like that is really it is a yeah like soft focus and like weird jazz and stuff that and you know the kinds of storylines the setting it's like really supposed to be like a uh soap opera and not a critique like i think lynch truly loves it and the return was sort of like a soap opera that has continued for 30 years just we haven't been watching it and now it's like 30 years later and i feel like the rehearsal has that kind of quality of its playing with the format of reality tv but he's also grafting on this like this this narrative about the nathan fielder character and the growth of that character. Um, yeah, one thing I felt sort of flummoxed by in a in a good way, like it made me like the show more, but I was sort of curious about it is like, as you get later and later into the show, or at least I became more and more convinced of his like high ambition with what he was doing here, which made his capacity to like, 
make room for just totally silly, seemingly unrelated stuff, like really funny and sort of surprising. Like one of the things I'm thinking of is all the sort of commentary on his Jewishness, like this, yeah. uh, this random woman who I guess is, is teaching his actor child some stuff about Judaism. She like gives him grief about not using his platform to support Israel. Uh, and then he has several gags about like the lengths he's going to, to hide from Christian actors, parents that the actor is getting like right, Jewish right. instruction for the character. And so I was wondering like, is this just comedic diversion or does this also, does this series of gags like also play into his broader message? Cause I guess it is consistent in the sense that like, because he's unwilling to confront anybody about like his actual position on anything, uh, like wanting, you know, just saying to people like, I want my kid to be Jewish or whatever. He has to go to like these extreme logistical lengths to achieve like a moderate Jewish indoctrination of an actor for like a few hours, which, which I guess that's sort of like a microcosm of, of the show, but, some of the silly yeah. moments, I guess I wasn't sure, like, is this relief from what everything else that's going on? Or is it like part and parcel of it? I think it's, I think to some extent it's relief, but I think it's also a way that he can still tell these other little mini kind of wacky Nathan interaction stories in the context of a larger narrative. You know, like he could have just done a separate episode where he goes to that uh, uh, Hebrew instructor and has those like funny interactions and it didn't, it wouldn't necessarily like re-emerge later in the rehearsal. But I think he like grafted it in really nicely. Um, Cause that did feel like that scene somehow kind of felt closest to Nathan for you. Yeah. But he like was able to kind of situate it in this like broader coherent narrative i also thought it was very interesting and again this could just be convincing acting but like when nathan's parents come they do right i was thinking about that scene yeah they do a very good job i guess it's just his mother but his mother really evinces like like there's no sense with her that like i don't know what my wacky son is up to but like he's in control of this bizarre show and it has no stakes like she seems very genuinely concerned about <laughs> that... the argument she's making, which is like so strange in a way. It's like, don't you know who your son is? Like none of this is real. I, I do believe that that scene didn't feel scripted to me. The parents felt genuinely sort of confused and uh, yeah, a little concerned and uh, so yeah, yeah, they definitely think... seemed genuinely concerned. They also, also just seemed like parents from Wellesley, like people we would have grown up with. Totally. And I think what made that feel really real is like his parents did not have sort of screen presence or were not in any way eccentric. You know, they seemed hyper normal and kind of quietly kind of taking him aside being like, what's going on? This is, <laughs> this is odd. <laughs> You know, right. And, like, I guess that was my question is like, how have they not gotten to the point with their son 
I mean, I guess this is true in like my own life, but it's like, cause I would think they'd be like, we, yeah, I think we you can, should we fully understand this, Evan. We can't like buy into like, like our son's trying to provoke us into genuine concern, but like, this is his second successful show. Like he knows what he's doing. Like we're not going to get, uh, you know, concern trolled into like worrying about what's going on here, but I'll they totally know. do. Although I can imagine you show up, your son says, I'm working on a TV show. I want to film a scene with you. You show up to like a weird house where there's fake snow out front and you just have a very genuine reaction to it being, being confusing what is going on. I mean, the show's confusing about what's going on when you watch it. So I can only imagine if you just arrived on the set one day, you would be... Yeah, very confused. Well, yeah, it's very charming to imagine that, like, they have not yet fully reckoned with what a weirdo their son is, which is sort of what I was expecting, that they'd just both be like, I don't know what you're doing, Nathan, but I'm sure it's just more of your bullshit. So, like, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, is, that, is that the final episode or is that the penultimate episode where his parents come? I think it's the penultimate or no no it might be even before that because angela is still there right right okay. like they're they're reacting to how weird angela or how they kind of like don't like what angela's doing wait because isn't it that one and then it's the hebrew school one yeah yeah like that's, that's why he right. seeks out the the hebrew tutor so uh, i wanted to to we've been talking a while now i think we can we can talk about the the last episode and then sort of mm -hmm. uh finish up i i think that I do not know what to make of the final episode. I definitely was left sort of uncomfortable. Like, like I think that to some extent, it's obviously very intentional to like have you as the viewer confronted with like this kid being upset, just sort of like by what was confusing to him about this process, right. like whether or not Nathan is dad. And I definitely, felt very bad for the kid and was sort of like, I, I think because I like Nathan, it was also a confrontation in the sense that I think as I watched the show uh, and because I think his character is maybe like more extreme than he is in real life, I sort of, I guess, do comfort myself by thinking like, well, off camera, they're probably having like reasonable conversations with these people and maybe making sure of things that like, you know, that people are okay, that the kids aren't weirded out. And so I, I was like disquieted and to some extent displeased that like it had sort of been allowed to get to this place of confusion with this kid. And I just but I wonder. like, yeah, that's that's not great. But, but I also think uh, the very like superficial reading that I think would be popular with the same like New Yorker critic of like, oh, he's indicting himself and the viewer and like you're confronted with the cost like i don't really think that was the point i don't totally know what i think the point was but i don't think it was like a simple reversal of like oh isn't so funny after all is it yeah i don't think it was that but i think i mean i was watching it having all the feelings you were of like oh my god they really fucked up and ruined this kid's life and then i started to wonder like is this kid actually just a good actor though like i kind of 
am more on the side that those that was an acted scene like he found a really good kid actor and part of that's because the kid that he's dealing with also at the same time is that kind of like freckled face kid with the glasses who is kind of a little hokey and like yeah, total hack total <laughs> yeah. hack eight-year-old <laughs> but i just mean i think it's that's what i keep going back to like that feels like the the real climax is you're actually watching this kid convince you like be really convincing as being upset about this process and yeah i don't think it's supposed to like turn the tables on the audience but i think it is you know, I'm sure at multiple points throughout the series, I and other people had the same thought of like, can kids do this? Like, it seems kind of weird and kind of crazy that they're doing it. Um, well, there's also so, like, a vibe. I don't know if this is this is projection or something weird, but it's like there's also a vibe that like and this is where I, I thought you were maybe going with the whole thing being about like Nathan's relationship with fatherhood is like there's definitely a vibe that at the same time that he's concerned about getting clear with this kid what reality is, he is in some way like affirmed and complimented by the kid's connection to him. And so he's like right. in, into it a little bit. I mean, that what happens with the kid is kind of the perfect dramatic payoff for a whole series to end on. That's why I wonder or I feel like I've leaned towards the idea that it that kid is an is acting. Um, but I think not knowing that heightens the the drama, the confusingness, the you know, we're kind of the kid now wondering like what's real and being confused by it and being angry at Nathan. And uh, I think he's great for not letting people in on like actually the kid was acting or like it's totally fine now or um, well yeah like, another think... another way you could look at it is that like and this i don't think would be genuine this would maybe be like a narrative that he was playing into but like there's definitely a read of the show where like nathan is very uncomfortable with conflict with other people and so uh sort of developing these scenarios where he can practice it is like really helpful to him but that one of his big fears is that like he will never be convincing as like a man or a father regardless of uh like how many times he does it and you could sort of view angela or like some of the kid actors as like they're just discouraging reinforcement of like yes i will put you in this role in pretend but like i can never imagine you as my actual right life partner right. or father but like remy i guess you know if we assume it's not fake it's like remy by his sort of youthful innocence is the only one who can actually see nathan as a father and like that's something big for nathan to be like oh even in this extremely contrived scenario like there was one person who could see me as genuinely performing like a social role whereas everybody else sees me as like an inert uh nothing or something yeah i think that blurring is like really 
kind of the key to the show. And it is really hard for me to imagine that he truly elicited that like traumatic response from the kid and then was like, like truly have this epiphany. Like it feels a little too perfect, but while I was watching it, I 100% believe that's what was happening. The um, only reason I maybe think it's real I mean, I guess this isn't even ev evidence. It's just kind of interesting is that like, I remember as a young kid and I'm sure I should have done reading about this. Like, I'm sure there is actually a developmental stage where this becomes possible. But I remember as a little kid being like very flummoxed by the difference between real and pretend and not liking mm -hmm. people switching back and forth. Like I can remember my dad sort of making jokes and then being like, I was just joking and me being like, well, I don't know. Like, I don't know what the cues are for like fake stuff. So like, you can't just go to like a fake place and I'm supposed to know, like, I don't, I don't I mean, get I it. Think And then you just have an age where that, but so like the idea to me that I don't know how old Remy's supposed to be, but like the idea that there is an age at which, acting is sort of dangerous for kids because they can't really distinguish between real and pretend that resonates with me because i sort of remember that distinction being elusive to me and being frustrated by adults doing it no i think that's a really good i think that is like one of the central themes and maybe one of his real like interests in what he's exploring is the shifting between real and pretend and like the limit of that, which, you know, is represent represented in this child. Like Angela seems sort of undisturbed by it because she just, you know, when she thinks the camera's not on, does whatever she wants and isn't, is sort of playing a part when she needs to. And I think this kid, I lean towards that he's, acting but it's possible he's not and you know i know everyone uh references like andy kaufman with with nathan fielder as sort of like a proto version of him um and i don't know a lot of kaufman's work that well but the one anecdote about him which i always really like is he used to he used to date laurie anderson the performance artist in the 70s and I guess they would have a bit where he would be on stage and he would invite a woman to come up on the audience so he could wrestle the woman. And Laurie Anderson, his girlfriend, was the plant in the audience and he would always pick her. Like she knew that she had to pretend to be an audience member. But she said then when they would, she'd get up on stage to wrestle him, he would really wrestle and like hurt her. So like, I think there can be like a really weird gray zone. Um, like, I don't think Nathan's as cruel as Andy Kaufman was, but it is hard to, like in those scenarios of people performing and sort of agreeing to perform as well. And then things being different or being uh, more extreme than they thought. It's like hard to say whether that's real. You know, it's hard to say whether all of the kids' meltdowns were real. Maybe some were, maybe some weren't. Um, right, and I think you could conclude, like one thing I was thinking about is it's like, sometimes there are things children can't do that adults can do that are really fine. 
But sometimes if something is like really damaging to a child, it could lead you to believe that like actually this is sort of dangerous for adults in a way. Because like mm -hmm. one thing I was thinking about is it's like what's unique about the child is like the child can actually articulate the way in which pretend is destabilizing for their identity. But like just because an adult would no longer feel compelled to express that doesn't necessarily mean none of that is happening. Like, like the child is unique in that they can sort of exhibit like pretending to have a dad when I don't have one was like painful for me. But like, I don't know, maybe part of the implication is that like some version of that is actually always happening with like artifice. It's just that like adults sort of lose contact with the part of themselves that is damaged or like their identities are already so fucked up and fractured <laughs> that like it's less, you know, it just like, you know, pour that pain on the pile. Like no, nobody will notice. Yeah, I think it's at least less intense generally than for a child. Um, yeah. But I just, I there was something about that. I mean, I, I, sh I would be interested to rewatch the whole series and see if I still feel that there's like this really kind of clear narrative building to that moment. I thought the moment the show was building towards was when the actress playing Angela confronts him and he, you know, sort of shirks it. But then it like, you know, escalates even more into this child, which, you know, kind of should be the heart of this show. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I was not expecting it. Uh, no. And I, you know, I st as I said, I still feel sort of um, uh, ambivalent about it. Uh, like, because I, I guess another thing is like, that would make me lean in the it wasn't contrived direction is like, I did feel like I was getting genuine concern from the mom. Uh, that like I, she sort of felt like she had bitten off more than she could chew and she didn't really know what to do at this point. I mean, she did not feel like an actress to me. So, but I was, at first I was like, she's kind of low key about this, even though she's expressing concern about it. But then I was like, oh no, that would be the kind of mother who would put their child in this position. So it's like yeah, too hard see, to- I feel like I just know women like that who they're like, yeah, I thought this would be okay, and now it's kind of fucked up. And you're like, oh, they're being really casual about this. And then you look over 10 seconds later, and they're just sobbing. And you're like, oh, okay, it did. It did register with them. They just, like, they're having to sort of confront it in pieces. So, like, she she read as very genuine to me, uh, which yeah, definitely, yeah. like, added to my concern. But, yeah, I don't know. I mean, if it came out that they sort of, like, coached remy into this or something like that would not be shocking but i don't know if i uh, think that's what i don't know i'm i'm very uh i think it's i i don't mean to like try to just be adjudicating like this was real and this wasn't but i think the uh the constant blurring of that is like one of the central themes and it's like what is masterfully done in the show and what is so like that's what kept me engaged right because really. I, I can imagine too i think it's a theme in child 
psychology that like, and here I'm totally out of my depth, but it's like, I can imagine an interpretation that's like, Remy is not actually confused about whether or not Nathan is his father. He's like, he's protesting something by refusing to exit the play. But like, he's not mm. actually conceptually mixed up about what reality is. He's just like, he's angry or upset at something that like, he doesn't control when the right. fantasy stops and starts. And so he like, doesn't want to just comply with the adults about like, okay, the fake thing is over now. So like, right, right. it could be both not acted and more complicated than like, he's confused. Um, but either way, I think there's, there's reason to believe that this was like a difficult experience for him, though, you know, how significant, I don't know. I mean, he's, his whole Dr. Farts routine makes me think he's a, he's a star in the making either way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's hard to know. And I just, I'm really impressed that like, I have a hard time figuring it out, which feels so, so rare these days for a TV show. Um, I think that's why all the like, I mean, I have seen random people on Twitter compare it to Twin Peaks, The Return, as just this like kind of thing you're like endlessly trying to figure out what was going on and why, like what was real and what wasn't and what was the narrative. And uh, I guess a, a crucial difference for me, and maybe you would disagree with this, but it's like, I, I think when I was a kid, especially, I was like very literal and very frustrated by ambiguous art. And I, I think I've gotten to a place with people like Lynch where I'm like, he might know certain facts about this narrative that he's not revealing, but like the purpose of his art is sort of the experience of like the place he puts you in, like more so yeah. than the Laura Palmer detective story. And like, I don't know if I feel the same about it's like if we could travel into David Lynch's brain and be like, we want to just find like a bullet point list somewhere of what actually happened in Twin Peaks. It's like, I'm not sure that list is even in David Lynch's brain. Like, I'm not sure that's what he's interested in. I, Whereas with Nathan Fielder, I feel like Nathan Fielder has a very explicit idea of what he was up to with all this. And I'm not sure, I'm sure, quite sure he'll never tell and like I'll never know. But I almost think like there might be an answer to the questions raised by the rehearsal in a way maybe there aren't answers to some of the questions raised on Twin Peaks. That's interesting because I've always felt that Lynch does have the bullet points all figured out, but I think that's like not interesting to him. I think that's just like the structure that he like hangs his his aesthetics on because I think his real love is like he wants you to love like the Twin Peaks theme song and like the footage of like the sawmill like that yeah he's a vibes think, merchant he's very much a vibes merchant and yeah Fielder is not really um yeah he's like I, a neurosis merchant yeah which I guess <laughs> neurosis is a sort of vibe it's just not a vibe anyone oh likes, it's absolutely but... a vibe it's just an unpleasant one. It's not like a romantic yeah. or, or appealing one. 
Um, you know, you're you're probably right. Lynch, Lynch maybe isn't the best example I could pick here because there actually is some evidence that like Lynch knows what the actual plots of a lot of these weird arts are. But I think you know what I'm getting at, which is like there is surrealist art where you can glean that like the creator never even considered deeply like how the plot actually resolves off screen right. or whatever. And I just, I just get the sense with Fielder that like he had a point. I'm just sort of not sure what it is. And I don't necessarily think that like, I mean, I don't know. It's interesting. I mean, I also, I also think if, if he had a point, like a really hard point, like he would communicate that. I think he, intentionally left certain kinds of things open-ended especially around what's real what's artifice what's you know what how much is he crafting the story and i think that's where that's for me more the lynch comparison where it's like he's making a he's using like the mode of reality TV, like the genre of it, like how Lynch used the genre of soap operas to make Twin Peaks and kind of making this new kind of form of TV. Well, you know what's um, interesting? I think you're maybe like both a more cynical and discerning viewer than me <laughs> because part of my reaction to the Nathan Fielder finale was like, the whole show, you never know what's real and what's fake and to what extent it's scripted. And like, now he's showing us something that's like too real to question. Like, like I almost mm -hmm. thought the point of it was like, we have to get something on screen now that the viewers won't doubt. And like, it's, it's yeah. interesting that, cause I was sort of the furthest in my mind at that point from thinking like, could this be just another layer of artifice? Like, you know, we're not, we're not truly back out of the wormhole yet. We're just at like level one of the manipulation or something. Like I didn't really consider that even until you brought it up. But I mean, knowing him, that's, that's definitely a possibility. Yeah. I mean, it is sort of like whether Remy is acting or not, or somewhat acting, it's like, we're supposed to really read it as real. So it's sort of like, supposed to function as real um which okay i'm gonna do it for the fourth time wait did you see the end of twin peaks the return no i never finished uh, it <laughs> well i don't want to spoil it then but i think it it operates it has a kind of realism that i find very similar to what happens with remy well right that's um, that's sort of the the source of my confusion, I guess. I mean, we've been we've been circling around this, and it's like my lack of being articulate that's making us keep retrotting the same <laughs> territory. But it's like it's very conspicuous that the apparent emotional reality and stakes of the final episode are much greater than anything that's come before. Right, right. And I wasn't even I wasn't sure why he chose to resolve the story that way. I think that's the only way you could, because otherwise it just is Nathan for you. It's like him being kind of a weirdo and like being in awkward situations. And just to, I think, kind of further what you said, remember the scene where, like, I can't believe we haven't talked about it, where the kid, the actor ODs. 
and he sort of like like he gave us the actual death of a child and made it kind of funny but also like very like kind of terrifying like you knew it was fake but you were still kind of like oh my god like this is kind of heartbreaking um and i think that's where like remy feels so so different and so distinct and the tone of the show feels like that kid sort of like embodies so much that no well, one yeah, else there's has also, on the show. This, this is definitely like seeing what I want to see, but I feel like there's maybe a weird commentary in Nathan uh, Fielder's stuff on like the sort of like danger of pop psychology where like the T cause it's like, do you remember on Westworld, they would always with the robots be like, well, Maeve's daughter died. And like, that's the key to everything about Maeve. It's like, that reminded me of when the kid is like, I have this friend and like, he's not close with his dad. So he's getting into drugs. And it's like, right. it's this way you can imagine actors being like, well, the key to this person is this one very superficial read I have of something traumatic that happened to them. Um, and I'm gonna like, I understand that now, so I can use it to like portray something very deep. And it's like, I guess there's no indication of this, but I just sort of like assume Nathan thinks that's stupid. Like, I mean, the guy's like a teenager, so it's not like judgmental, but it's it's just sort of like inane. Yeah, I mean, it would be interesting to talk with an actor about this show and what they feel. Well, I like suspect that like trauma discourse has totally like penetrated and degraded acting <laughs> where people are like, this is what happened to this person. And this is why they're like this. Right. Um, right. But it's, I think my favorite moment on the whole show though, it's like not deep at all is when he's like, I forget what the line is, but he says something like there were certain aspects of the actor's behavior that were making it harder to stay in the moment or believe they were a child or something. And it cuts to a shot of the like adult actor playing the young Remy right. outside and he's just vaping. <laughs> yeah that's what i mean is those those scenes those do feel like the comedic relief but also they operate as like this like very formal foil to like the real emotional scenes of like what is real and you know like the vape when he cuts looks out the window and sees the guy vaping or when he my favorite part when he has the life-size doll and cracks its back and it like is really loud you know like he's sort of talking about artifice there but in this really low stakes way that's very funny and then you sort of get to actually experience like the emotional side of it with, with well yeah Remy. you could almost i mean this is where i want to go with everything but you could almost view the show in some ways as like that there's some broad point against like empiricism or modeling because like the whole thing is like gags about the inadequacy of trying to simulate something real and like how absurd uh, and unrelated it becomes very quickly uh, to the real thing, which is like, you know, could be a commentary on like entertainment and uh, all sorts of things. But I've, I've definitely uh, exhausted my semi-interesting thoughts on the show, but do you, I haven't heard anything about like his next project or anything like that. I know that um, I will be interested. I mean, for a person who's done two things, it's like 
the extremity and specificity of his work <laughs> dialed way up between project one and two, which like definitely makes me very excited to see what he does next. But what were you going to say? Oh, that he uh, was renewed for a second season. Okay. That's really interesting because like you, you talked about it as a mini series. It's like, whatever the last episode meant, there was a finality to it that made it difficult to imagine this show going on with like a related uh, setup. So yeah, like, I that's, saw, that's pretty interesting. I saw someone either tweeted or like posted on Reddit that the second season will just be like a rehearsal of the, like with all the actors, like acting out the parts of the first one again, which it was like, yeah, it was hard to imagine what else it could be. Yeah, one thing that sort of like ran interference for this show and is really interesting is like, I really do think that like just meta commentary, like breaking the fourth wall stuff. And as I've already said, I think a lot more was going on with this show than this. But I think something about like meta is like catnip for midwits and pseudo intellectuals where like they just love... uh anything that's like commentary on itself they think is like genius and and i think like one of the strengths in the show is just that in the context of this show that becomes very routine but i guess right. my frustration is because people are very uh obsessive and laudatory about any art that like does that that sort of became the thing a lot of people wanted to talk about and like because you'd see people like a very popular style of tweet was like if on the next episode he has like an actor playing an actor playing an actor, right right like i will lose my shit and it's like well why would that be that interesting that just be one more it's like you can do that infinitely without much uh because it's like the moments he chose to do that and the situations in which he chose to do that were like fairly specific and always very funny. Like I think one of the funny things is like whenever he would play one of his acting students, he would always pick people where like for him to dress like them would be hilarious, which like right. that isn't even really like meta humor. That's just like a sight gag. Yeah, I think that's where the the meta stuff is just a structure. It's a way that he can like tell these stories and then also pepper in these just very not even lowbrow but like they're jokes right they're visual gag like the gags the life-size child actor the doll the him in funny outfits um yeah and when he gets yeah. a child actor who has an a plus solid gold bit like dr farts he just lays back and <laughs> lets him work yeah yeah i don't think he's like interested in making a you know why i hated westworld so much was i only watched the first season but you know it kept hammering that point home of like who's more real the robots or the humans and i feel right. like I, know, I have you ever seen the anime evangelion no because like so i really love that show but like the the creator of that show is like a known insane person and tried to kill himself a bunch of times and uh I've been listening to this podcast about it and it's like <laughs> so there's 26 episodes of this show. This is a this is a crazy digression, but the real the real fans who are still here at now are 45 <laughs> may enjoy this. It's like 
The first 24 episodes, they're very interesting. They're very psychological, but it's like a story of some kind of aliens are attacking Earth in a series and these kids get in these giant robot monsters to fight them. And like as the show goes on, you you kind of find out more about what the aliens are. And like there is a lot of like psychological deconstruction of the characters. And it's a very interesting show. But the last two episodes, when there are still like major plot points to be resolved uh, that ultimately end up being uh, shown on screen in a movie that came out later, the last two episodes where, you know, there's still plot left to cover is literally just the characters interrogating themselves in a room. And like the, the quality and style of the animation starts to break down where like, instead of being in color, they become black and white and like, then they just become like really rough sketches. And then at some point you actually see them as like sketches on a page. So like, you're no longer like immersed with the animation. You're seeing like a, sh a sheet, something mm -hmm. is drawn on. So like the, the creator had this like asinine pretentious justification where he's like, the only way like a story this deep could be resolved is like, to remind you that you're watching a television show and like the the human questions in the television show like cannot be resolved in the narrative like they are like you must go out and live and like solve them in your own life and like by destroying the artifice of the show like we jolt you back into real life and it's like no this is not what art is like right right you you created like a machine that was beautiful but you were not talented like because it's like the machine that is supposed to stir something uh in human beings like is the narrative and if you have to at the end completely abandon the narrative and like can't bring it to a close within the context of the original narrative you've established then like i really view that as like some kind of cowardice or inadequacy but there are there are a group of people who are like this is the highest art <laughs> and like the only real way. I, I don't think anyone well maybe for that show, i know that show has like a loyal fan base so i'm sure it has its defenders but yeah well that like does anime heads hate it and then like pretentious people are like yeah and people who watch anime are like lowbrow coomers so of course they don't get uh like a sophisticated ending what, like this what's the famous wasn't there a soap opera or tv show that like the final episode, the season finale, is that like it all takes place in the mind of an autistic child. Yeah, which I actually feel like I think that was um, Saint Elmo's Fire, maybe. Okay. Um, but I think that the, if the first time I saw that, I would like really like it. But I think like once a show has done it, you can never do it again. Um, and I don't know. I guess. Uh, this would be like an interesting topic for a separate episode, like asshole pretentious endings, because like I sort of feel like the Sopranos ending, I will excuse its pretentiousness because it doesn't really like jump the reins of the narrative. It just kind of does something weird that you have to explain to you. But it's not like, it's, you know, it's not the director coming on screen and being like, there is no happy resolution for Tony Soprano, <laughs> idiot. Uh, you know, like, that's the sort of thing that I really object to, but... Yeah, I mean, I always... I mean, we can save this for a, a different episode, but I think, I think the brevity of the Sopranos ending, and that the whole last episode is, like, a very good, solid wrapping up, 
um, makes it one of the better series endings. Um, I think, of course, I would say Twin Peaks one is excellent, but you haven't seen it. Did you watch The Nick? No, I'm scared of the Nick because I. Oh I, my God! I know I would because, love it, but it's like the medical stuff. I might literally have to fast forward through. Like I can't watch like an there, eye. There's a lot of medical open. stuff. Wait, but isn't um, the Nick is sort of like uh, what was what was the Wild West Deadwood, where it ended sort of on a cliffhanger, but it it functions as a very good series finale. Um, and I think that is like a different kind of thing than like lost which clearly ended just abysmally um sort of in that evangelion way where is that what the show's called evangelion yeah well with lost they at least tried to wrap it up within the narrative they just failed but they didn't like break the confines of the show really uh i mean i would argue they did because they you know yeah i guess I mean, saying they're all in purgatory is sort of that and um, it stylistically kind of was like a different thing and you know i actually really admire uh the ending of six feet under did you ever see that one no that show seemed insufferable to me but the ending no it's good it's good um but the ending is i don't think this is spoiling anything because i think people know it it um shows all the characters the rest of their lives in like a fast forward kind of thing so all the main characters, you see the next like couple years of their life or like to, up until all their deaths. And I feel like that's a very admirable, like, like I'm ending the show, but I'm going to tell you what happens to every single character. So that felt really, I think, satisfying. Um, you, you haven't finished Better Call Saul, have you? Oh, yeah. No, I finished Better Call Saul. So... <laughs> So this is such a stupid aside, but I kind of fucked up because I watched episode 12 and I thought that was the final episode. So I it thought did sort of I thought the yeah. ending to the show was the old lady presses life alert and Saul runs. And I was kind of like, you know what? That's a pretty good ending. And then yeah, I, yeah. I, I think like having made that like sort of made a psychological break with the show and been like okay like you don't really know what happens but you sort of know what happens then watching this like interminable like moral growth episode for saul that is the real <laughs> last episode i was just like fuck this like this is so stupid i i mean i thought better call saul had like five episodes that felt like the series ending as it was closing out different storylines so by the time they got to the last episode it was really just about kim yeah you know um, i just i just think they sort of um like it, it wasn't all resting on that final episode i felt like they had they'd satisfied a lot of my needs and i just wanted it to not be like the ending of a uh, lost or something yeah i just think like it's a it's a really good show i think it's better than breaking bad i just yeah, think i, agree. I, I think agree. like the way i sort of view people and maybe this is an unfair criticism but it's like i think you can go two ways with the character you can be like you can try to actually make us believe 
that Saul like always maintained some humanity, but really like events got the best of him and he was sort of dragged into a darker and darker world. Like you can play it like that or you can do the like at some point he went full heel and just like doesn't care about anything anymore. But what doesn't work for me is being like he went heel for like a full decade, but then seeing his lady love he like knew he had to do the right thing and go to jail for no reason. Like that, I, I, that just doesn't read to me like a real human thing. The, the one, I, I agree that wouldn't work. I think what they were getting at, although they didn't make it as explicit as I would have liked to, is that like, you know, he brokers that amazing deal for himself because he's such a shady dude and then gives it up to save Kim. I sort of felt like they were implying that he was comfortable giving up the deal because he would just scam the system another way. Like he loves, like his real love is the scam. So he was willing to uh, screw up that deal because he probably felt like he wanted to kind of game the system yet again. Um, well, that's, that's they, another thing people have said about the show that I, I don't know how I feel about, which is like, you know me, like I am sort of like a moralist and, and like a scold. Uh, yes. But I do think one thing that was really fun about the show for the first couple seasons is like it walked the line of being like, this guy's kind of fucked up, but like he really just loves scams because like he thinks he's good, uh, like clever. And like his cleverness has not been rewarded by an institutional system that is always sort of corrupt. And in some ways, I think it would be braver to try and like permanently fully back the legitimacy of Saul being a scammer as like a moral way of being in the world than to just have the show be like, but of course, in the end, you can't live like this and you'll get blood on your hand. Like, I think the show's more fun when it's indulging the idea that Saul could sort of, uh, you know, walk that ledge forever. I mean, I think that's what my read is in line with, but I did recognize they weren't really playing up that, that quality of, of Saul, that he could just always scam the system and that he, like the thrill of scamming the system was more important than actually scamming the system. I feel like that's what they were setting up and they didn't kind of make it explicit. And so well, yeah, that, that I do think is one characterological observation on the show. That's kind of deep is they're like, I do think they display on the show that it, Jimmy kind of indulges the idea that like, maybe if the system had taken me in, I would be like a normal upstanding lawyer, but like I was done unfairly. But like you see in various ways that like that was never true about him. Like he was going to be. Always, that was one of the themes too of Breaking Bad that although Walter falls into it, he like has moments where he could de-escalate and get out and he never does. Like he always like leans back into it because he does just enjoy it which is what I thought that scene was with the two of them in the final episode of Better Call Saul, where he kind of like looks at Saul disgusted and is like, oh, you've always been like this. 
Yeah, I definitely think uh, you could look at both shows and be like, whoever wrote these shows believes that like babies come out with a character and it's like not necessarily the same character as their parents and that like their character will assert itself eventually almost no matter what the context of their life. That's actually that's really interesting because I never thought of the shows, the two shows as being nature versus nurture and sort of that Walter White is the nurture like he was a good guy and and got sort of screwed over by his business partners and then you know became well yeah bad. they're both ostensible nurture narratives that turn out to be nature narratives that like reveal themselves later on oh no i was saying that i think better call saul is nature like he's always been a scammer he always liked scamming people no but and i so think that, you sort of said the same thing happens on breaking bad where like they encourage you to believe walter white has been driven to this by extreme events in early seasons. But then later they sort of challenge you to consider like maybe this guy was kind of always a, uh, like a monstrous figure. Do they say that though with Walter? I don't remember Breaking Bad that bad, that well, but I thought it was that it's only once he gets power that he is sort of corrupted by it. Like, is there evidence of his sort of moral corruption prior to him becoming sick with cancer i think there is and i think there's even um there might be you could even because i think like a big thing on the show is the distinction between jesse and walter that mm -hmm. like because because you could almost say like jesse is presented as like a sort of morally normative person who is able to make his morals more flexible because he's in like difficult situations whereas walter white has like a complete capacity to transcend like any moral concern and is constantly like dragging uh jesse right right so like jesse's response is like more what a normal person in extreme circumstances would go through whereas like why does walter have this quality of immediately just being like well this has to happen so we're going to do it or whatever but yeah i guess I guess there you you could say that like it's the the practice of of power that like turns him truly evil. But maybe we should do an episode on those two shows. But uh, I should I should let you go since we're we're at two hours here. Ooh, you should let me go. All right, you're released. <laughs> you can go back to voting for uh, non-gendered, horrible progressive politicians in the uh, crime-ridden shithole you call home. <laughs> yeah, enjoy DC. I'm in the burbs, baby, free and clear. <laughs> but all right, take care. Thank you. All right, bye, Evan.